My name, uh, once again, is Margo. I'm the Royal Love Pastor here. And uh, this is actually just a one-off message because it's actually my last opportunity to talk up here. Uh, me and my husband have been here for two years, and we've loved it, but my family's back on the East Coast, and so we are returning to the Pittsburgh area. No, I'm not a Steelers fan. Pray for me. So, <laughs> but uh, it's been fun. It's been uh, great to... To get to know you guys and the community here, and it's hard to remember if Tri-Cities has always been home, that it can kind of be an adjustment. Uh, the first time I was ever past the Mississippi River was when I flew out here for my interview. Uh, so it's been great to get to explore the Pacific Northwest and Washington, and my family still doesn't understand that it's a desert and it's not like twilight all the time. Uh, <laughs> but it's been really cool. Uh, it was actually took me a little bit to learn my way around with the three different cities and the bridges and understanding how everything was orientated. Uh, when I first moved, uh, before my apartment was ready, I was staying with a family that lived off of Bombing Range in West Richland. And when my apartment became ready, in, which is over by Costco, uh, I remember I was trying to get home one day, so I'm like, I'm going to use my GPS. Definitely don't know my way around. So I just hit that nice little like home button, and it started routing me. And I was driving and driving. And it was nighttime. It was dark. And I was driving, and I was like, all right, I know there's a lot of people in the Tri-Cities, so why aren't I seeing any houses? I mean, it was just like desert and sagebrush, and I was going for a really long time, and I was like, mm, something is up. And then I saw signs for Ritzville, uh, <laughs> because apparently I had not changed home on my GPS to any place but Pittsburgh. So <laughs> it was taking me back to Pennsylvania, and I'm glad I caught it before I hit Idaho. Uh, <laughs> But it's been great. Now I can say I can successfully navigate from bombing range to Costco. So I feel like I've made it. I feel like I'm here and I'm a part of this. Uh, and it just makes it a little bit more bittersweet to uh, be moving on back. But glad you guys came out. Uh, this series is called If Nothing Else because I just wanted to uh, take this time to share my heart with you guys and to impart kind of, if nothing else, like if any of my other sermons didn't connect with you or... I mean, my brain is the type that, like, I need to delete information before I put new information in, so you can, like, clear that trash can on your desktop and <laughs> with, like, my, everything I've said before and just have this uh, sit with you for a little bit. Uh, and it's really brave of Brent to let me say whatever I want up here, and he's not even here to see what I'm going to do. So uh, I will say I'll, I'm a pretty short talker, so yay, because I read online that there's a very small line of distinction between a long sermon and a hostage situation, so I'm going to try to get you guys out on time, <laughs> but uh, we're looking into the book of Luke, which is just an account about um, a guy's experience following Jesus and Jesus kind of interrupting his everyday life, which I think is great because it's something we connect to. I mean, we go to work every day, and uh, we see that this guy went to work, and God showed up. <laughs> Uh, which is cool. And the thing I love about doing church here is that we have people all over the spectrum at all different parts of the table and how they feel about Christianity, about Jesus, about the Bible, uh, and that's great. And I'd like to think that there's something that everyone can take out of this today. So don't feel, don't start squirming like there's no Kool-Aid or orange jumpsuits or anything like that. You can just sit and listen and take from it what you will. Uh, but we're going to just dive right in to Luke here, and we see uh, this account start at this, at this moment where Jesus has been talking to people and he's gaining so much momentum uh, and so much reputation that a crowd is gathering and actually pushes him back. His back is to a lake shore because there are so many people crowding in to hear what he has to say. And we see this in, uh, if you have a Bible thing and you want to look at it, it's in Luke chapter 5. And it says this, 
Now it happened that while Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, is what it was, with people crowding all around him and listening to the word of God, he saw that two boats, Jesus saw that two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. Now this is super specific details and he did this intentionally. Uh, What you would know if you were around a fishing culture is that when you saw someone washing their nets, you knew that they were closing shop for the day. Yeah, they're done because you're not going to go and clean out your nets of all the gunk and all the seaweed and repair them. They're probably, you know, reattaching some parts of the net and all these things. You don't do that if you're just in the middle of your work day. This was a clear signifier that, you know, you are done. It's like the retail worker that you see walking faster than you've ever seen them walk towards that back door. Like, they're checking out. They are on their way out. Their day is over. They are done. You see folks cleaning their nets. Uh, and so we see this next thing happen because the crowd is pressing in on him. So he's like, all right, what do I do? This is like a little overwhelming. Uh, He got into one of the boats uh, of these fishermen that were cleaning their nets, which was Simon, also nicknamed Peter, and asked him to put out a little distance from the shore. Jesus sat down and began teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, nicknamed Peter, put into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch of fish. And Simon, Peter replied, Master, we worked hard all night to the point of exhaustion and caught nothing in our nets, but at the ground of your word, I will do as you say and lower the nets again. So uh, whenever I read these things, I try, to under, I try to put myself in the position of someone that's maybe heard this for the first time. And the question that comes to my mind when I'm, le- when I'm listening to this is, why would Peter listen to Jesus? This is the first time that he's met this dude. Uh, they have no previous relationship. We don't even see that a conversation was going on before this. Uh, Jesus just gets into his boat and says, hey, I know you're closing up shop, but how would you give this another shot? Uh, and so it's really confusing. On, to me, I'm like, why? like, why would he listen to him? This is a strange man. He has no connection to him. He's obviously tired. He's just spent a long time working. He's exhausted. Why did Peter listen? And I think it's really interesting. The, the translation that we're using is uh, tra- one of my favorite translations called the Amplified Translation. And what that means is the Bible is written primarily in Greek and Hebrew. And those languages are beautiful and complex, and English is weird and lame. So uh, they have, it's a challenge for translators to make these big, complex words fit a very minimal English word. And so the Amplified Translation is awesome. It puts... Um, like more details around the words to get it closer to the actual translation. And so in the Amplified, you'll say, it says, Peter's response is, but at the ground of your word, saying pretty much, uh, if something is grounded, you know it's secure, you know it's solid, you know it's trustworthy. And we do this, right? We say, you know, I don't know a lot about personal health. So when I go to my doctor and he takes a blood test and he says, hey, you have high cholesterol, I, I know that I don't have that knowledge, but I trust that he has the grounds, he has the knowledge, he has the, the background to back up what he's saying with some, so I know that it's valuable and I should listen to it. Like if I went to that doctor's office and been like, Psh, show me your degree, like I know more about cholesterol than you do, he'd be like, you're wrong and you're going to die, but sure, like do what you want to do. And so we see that um, Peter was listening to Jesus teach, and so in my head he's saying, this makes sense because he's listening to this man talk about God and what He's hearing Jesus say, makes sense to him. He's saying, he's heard Jesus teach, and he's 
and he's deducted from that experience that Jesus is someone who knows what he's talking about. Uh, He has some sort of authority. In fact, Peter calls him master, which is what you would call a teacher of the law or a teacher of of scriptures for the Jewish people back then. So So Peter recognizes, hey, you are a teacher of this, and I know you know way more about this than I do. So just because I trust your reputation, even if I don't know you personally, at your word, at the ground of your word, I'm gonna listen. And I think that this is hard for us because it, we, don't, we don't have that same culture that Peter was in where teachers of scripture were just venerated as like being the most intelligent, the most trustworthy people in the culture. Today, we have seen way too many churches that are crooked or pastors that are way too political and all these things, and it makes us squeamish, and we don't want to trust pastors. But this is what, this is the higher picture here is we're not, God isn't calling us to, to, to say at the word, at the ground of your pastor, do something. He's saying at the ground of me at my word, at my authority as God. And so here's the question that we need to ask ourselves. If God is who he says he is, isn't that worth a listen? And I think that's really hard because it lets you off the hook. If, like either God is who he says he is, and that is like if the creator of the universe is saying something, probably should listen in. Or he's not who he says he is, and then it doesn't mean anything. I think there was a C.S. Lewis quote, and it said something along the lines of, if Jesus is who he says he is, it's of utmost importance. And if he's not, it's of no importance. What it cannot be is of moderate importance, right? If God is who he says he is, it's worth a listen. And if he's not, then, then we can disregard it altogether. But so, so putting myself in the shoes of Peter, if God is who he says he is, I should listen. Okay, So here's how I decide if I'm going to make that choice. Best case, worst case scenario. So Peter's thinking, best case scenario, if I listen to this dude, he tells me to go out and cast my net a different way than I've been doing it. What's going to happen? Best case, I'll probably catch something. I'll probably get some fish. I'll be able to, you know, make some money off of this horrible, extra long work day. Worst case scenario, I catch nothing, right? Nothing happens. Best case scenario, I get something that I've been seeking after. Worst case scenario, I... Nothing has changed. My life isn't any better, any worse. So then the question translates to us. If we throw our nets out, if we decide to listen to, to what God would, would want us to do with our lives, what do we have to gain? And then you're saying, uh, but you're forgetting the other half is, is, what do I have to lose? If I throw my hat in with Christianity, if I throw my hat in and say, I'm a believer of this person named Jesus, I believe who he says he is, there's a lot to lose. There's a lot to lose. First, I can lose my reputation. Oh, people are going to think I'm one of those weird religious people. They're going to expect me to start knocking on random doors and handing out pamphlets and just like protesting movies with bad language. I don't want to be one of those people. I want to be that person that like no one wants to invite over to a family dinner because it's going to just make the conversation awkward. I have a lot to lose if I throw my hat in with Christianity. So, so But what do we have to gain? I think we, we get so caught up on... What do we have to lose that we, we ignore? What do we have to gain? Because we just keep thinking, you know, I've seen people, like if I'm talking to this God, this God figure, this, this, this higher being, and people see that, they're going to think I'm crazy because I've seen people talk at the sky before. They're usually coming out of Lee's Tahitian after being overserved at around like 1 a.m. I don't want to be one of those guys. I don't want to look ridiculous. I don't want to waste my time with this. And we, we spend so much time caught in that that we, we, we don't think about, well, what do I have to gain? 
What do I have to gain? If this is legit, what do I have to gain? If the, the person that created the universe wants to help me with my life and give me advice and direct me in a, situ- in a certain direction, what do I have to gain from that? And it's going to look different for everyone, what we have to gain. So why, so why is it so hard to, to put ourselves in a position to take this seriously? Why is it so hard to put ourselves in a position to take God up on, on this offer, on this challenge? And I, and I think Peter lists one of the reasons why it's so hard. He says, we worked hard all night to the point of exhaustion and caught nothing in our nets. I've tried this before, and it didn't work. I did the church thing before. I did the religious thing before. You know, I put myself out on the line, and God let me down. And, and things, you know, I prayed for that job. I prayed for our marriage to be saved. I prayed for that, that illness to be cured, and nothing happened. I am exhausted from trying to make this work. I'm exhausted. I have no energy left because I've tried this before, and I've caught nothing. And that, that is legit. Because I don't know about you, if, if one of the interesting details is that we see that, that Peter is cleaning his nets, which tells me you don't clean a net that you're never going to use again. You don't care if it's being torn and in disrepair. If I had fished, because when, when he says fishing all night, that says that he fished all day because you start fishing in the day and all through the night. If I had fished for 24 hours, I would not be cleaning my nets. I would be selling my nets on eBay. Like I'd be like, I am getting a new job. I am getting out of here. I am finding something else because I put everything on the line and I came up empty. And yet what God's asking of Peter, what Jesus is asking, and what God I think oftentimes asks of us, is he asks us to do what we do normally, just in a slightly different way. Slight adjustment. And most people get scared of, like, I want to pray to God because he's going to ask me to do something crazy. Like, he's going he's gonna to make me sell all my things and go live in a mud hut. Or he's, you know, he's going to ask me to quit my job and work for this nonprofit and live off of helper, which is hamburger helper, but you're too poor for the hamburger, so you're just stuck with the helper. Like, I don't, I'm not ready for the ramen noodle life. You know, like, I, I don't think, like, I did that in college. I ain't going back to that. And we, we don't want to even entertain the thought of, of having that conversation of listening to God because we're scared of that. But, but here's the thing. Uh, God may ask that of us at some point in our life. Uh, it's not extremely common to ask something that huge. But, here's, but the really interesting thing is that God, the first thing he asks us is usually something really small, really doable, because he just wants to get that, at the front door of faith, he just wants to get that door open, Right? And those big things, those big things that God can ask of people can open big doors. And those big things lead to big world change. Because Peter, later on, we see that he leaves everything and follows Jesus. I mean, he leaves his career, he leaves his friends and family behind to follow Jesus. And we see huge, huge positive consequences of that. We see huge um, a domino effect come from that because he was willing to do a big thing and it resulted in big change. I mean, the world as we know it, even as, a, as someone that's not want anything to do with church, it's changed forever because Peter was willing to do a big thing. But before he did a big thing, before he left everything, he did a small thing. The small things can lead to big change. And so we see, we see what happened here back in Luke. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. 
and their nets were at the point of breaking, so they signaled to their partners and the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both their boats with fish so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, go away from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And this is kind of confusing. You're like, I thought this was a good thing and now he seems like he's like, oh man, I really messed up. Like, how does this happen? Because if we track the chain of events that happened in Peter's life here, we see that he was blessed, that God blessed him with this fish. God blessed his occupation. God blessed him before Peter ever repented or said he was sorry or said he messed up. Before this repentance, God blessed him. And I think that can really throw people for a loop because you've been told or you've seen it when you're flipping through the, the weird channels late at night that you got to say you're sorry before God's going to do anything for you. You got you to gotta totally be on your stomach before like an altar somewhere. You got really, to put it all on the line because we normally think that faith works like this. We normally think faith works a couple ways, uh, we, or at least we want faith to work like this. We want there to first be blessing, Right? Because I'm not going to believe in a higher power or that the God thing is for real or that the Jesus thing is for real until he shows up and does something for me. And then if God, if God shows up and does something huge and big, something I can't deny, something I can't ignore, then I'll listen to what he says. Right? Like I need God to, I need God to show up to me and show he's not super flaky. So I, then if he shows up and does something big and showy, then I'll maybe listen to what he says. And then when I listen to what he says and realize, oh, hey, my life is a whole lot less messy when I live life this way, then maybe I'll get to the point where I said, you know what, God, I am really sorry for being so dang stubborn up until this point. Right? I feel like this is in our heads oftentimes what this would look like. God, I want you to bless me. And then if it's good enough blessing, a blessing that's good enough for me, then, then I'll consider listening to what you want me to look, have my life look like. And then at that point, maybe I'll admit that the way I was living my life before was imperfect. Or maybe, maybe you fall into this other camp that I hear uh, where we think, that, I call it the prayers of desperation faith, where you say when you're in a situation, you get the phone call you never want to get, you get the diagnosis you never want to get, you, your, your job falls apart, your, your marriage falls apart, something happens, and we have this prayer of desperation, right? We say, oh God, I know I shouldn't have done X, Y, and Z. I know I shouldn't have done these things. I shouldn't have let them go out. I shouldn't, you know, I should have been a better, better parent. I should have been more involved. I should have done this. I should have done that. If you get me out of this, I'll do whatever you want. I'll join a gospel choir. I'll delete my Snapchat. I'll replace that rock hard mattress in my guest bedroom before the in-laws come to town. Like I will do whatever you want me to do if you get me out of this. So in that order, we see that, you know, we repent. We say, oh man, I messed up. Repentance, then, then obedience. I'll do whatever you say. And then we hope that God will bless us by getting us out of whatever that, that chapter of our lives looks like. But this isn't at all what we see happen to Peter. Because obeying, before, obeying God before we fully trust him, fully trust that there'll be a blessing. Like, if I do this, like, what's on the other side? Before we know what's on the other side of that door that, that he's telling us to open, it's hard. But Pete, that's exactly what Peter did. And, then, and it can seem like, well, that's why he's a hero of faith, because mere human, like mere average people, we can't do that. You're asking me to put a lot of faith in my reputation online. You're asking me to do a lot of things for someone that I can't like hang out with and see and touch. But yet this is something that we do in every relationship of our lives. 
Because when we enter into a relationship, dating, marriage, whatever, we, and I, like, this is going to, like, the, the inner feminist in me, like, hates to use this sentence, but I'm going to do it, so bear with me. I need to obey my partner in that I need to be faithful. That's what obedience is, right? It's living my life in a way that I am not hurting the relationship I'm in, I'm building it up. That's what obedience is. It's not you know, like a, this blind obedience. I am intentionally being faithful to the person that I, in my case, married to because I want to build up that relationship. And yeah, that means that my life looks a little different than it did before. I'm not going on random dates. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing this A, B, and C because I have someone that I'm trying to build up. I'm trying to build a relationship together. So yeah, that's what, that's what obedience in relationship is, is that I'm not going to do something that's going to hurt you because this relationship matters to me. So we start with the obedience. And guess what happens? When we, when we operate in our relationships that way, our relationships get better, right? When, when both people are just pouring in and building the other per- person up and not doing things to hurt the other people, when we're, when we're in this together, rowing in the same direction, when we're being obedient to each other and saying, I'm gonna do my best for this relationship, we get blessed because there's less stress. There's less arguing. We're on the same page. We're building something together. So we obey, then we get blessed, and then guess what happens? When I'm in those days when when things are going good because we struggled and made the hard choices to make it good, I'm so much more aware of the times where I fall short. Saying, man, no wonder we had a good week this week. It's because I'm not being selfish anymore. I'm putting the other person first. We become aware of our, of our shortcomings. And I'm able to say, I'm sorry for the times that I, that I have been selfish. I'm sorry for the times where I haven't put you first. I'm sorry for the times where, where I have not been building up this relationship. I've just been building up myself. We, we obey, we respect the relationship, then we're blessed when, we, when that miracle formula works out, and then we come to a place when, when we're able to apologize for the times when we fall short. When we respect our relationship with God through that obedience, saying, I don't want to do anything to hurt you. I don't want to do anything that's going to jack up this relationship. That blessing will leave us speechless, which is what we see here. We see Peter's left speechless. I love this detail when it says... Um, they, they caught the fish, and the, the boats were sinking, and there was so much fish. And I, like it says that Peter signaled to his buddies because I think he had no words. He was, just, he was just taken totally by surprise by how God showed up. And God, God did just that. God showed up in his daily life. Yeah, no words. So, so it leads me to this question that I, that I feel like I, I, I'm asking myself when I'm going through this. What is God asking me to try again? Because I'm on the shore. I am, there's certain parts of my life I have no more energy to put, to put more energy into this relationship, into this job, into the, you know. I am done because I've been hurt, because I've let down, because I've tried so hard before and nothing came of it. But what, God, what is God asking me to try again? What is God asking me to give it another shot at? What part of my daily routine is he in, inserting himself into? What part of my daily life about how I treat other people, how, about how I do my job, what is God trying to insert himself into and saying, you're doing good. Just change this little bit and see what will come of it. What are the parts of our lives that we need to alter to invest in that relationship and find the blessing that's been accessible this whole time? Those fish were there. What do we need to do to alter to, to get to that? And have there been things that, yeah, I have listened to, 
and things that God has been wanting to change in me that I have listened to, that I have followed to, and then, wow, oh my goodness, this is so much better. And I have not gotten to the point of saying, yeah, how I was doing it before was pretty bad. You know, when I, when I realize, hey, when I don't use every Burger King coupon that I get in the mailbox, I feel better. <laughs> Maybe I need to acknowledge that this is something I struggle with so that I can continue to move forward in that positive direction. And I know, I know just from talking with so many of you and doing life with you guys that there are people sitting here that feel that if there was a God, if he was out there, then he wouldn't want anything to do with me in my life because it's too messy, it's too broken, it's too imperfect. But I, I love this account because Jesus was doing his own thing. I mean, he was doing his ministry, he was preaching, he was doing his own thing, and he came across Peter scrubbing his nets, closing up after a day of failure, because that's what happened, right? Peter was working hard, he worked all through the day, all through the night, and he came home empty. And you don't fish like that, unless you are desperate. You don't put in all that hours and all that effort unless you are desperate. So that tells me the, you know, the pressure's on, the bills are overdue. He, had to come, he couldn't come home empty-handed, and that's exactly the position he found himself in. He was a failure because <laughs> he strived so hard and he still came up empty. And yet Jesus showed up in the midst of his failure. Jesus showed up in the midst of his job. This guy, Peter wasn't in a temple praying and fasting and asking God to show up. He was doing his normal life and struggling, and Jesus showed up in the midst of the struggle. And what did Peter do? Peter led him in the boat, and he listened. And I think that's incredible. If you follow Peter's life, we see that, that several months later that this same Peter that is, that is a failure, that has come up short, that 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 is lacking, the same Peter that is trying to decide how he feels about Jesus ends up being the, the same Peter that led Jesus into his boat. It's the same Peter that stepped out of the boat onto stormy waters and was able to walk on top of them because his faith in God was that sure. But he could never become that Peter until he let Jesus into the boat. He could never be the Peter that stepped out of the boat until he was the Peter that let Jesus step into the boat. He went from defeated and desperate to able to accomplish the impossible, all because he was willing to let Jesus into the boat. Because that's where it starts. And it doesn't mean that Peter never messed up again and lived this perfect life. One of my favorite things about the Gospels is it highlights how imperfect this group of people that Jesus was investing all this time and how imperfect they were. I mean, you literally have the best teacher there is. I mean, direct from the source, there, there is no better teacher than Jesus. Sorry, Brent. Sorry, me. Like, we're not there. We, we will never be there. We are not the best teacher. Jesus was the best teacher. And even with the best teacher spending full time with these guys, they still made mistakes. They still messed up. They still didn't get. They still misspoke and acted crazy. They were imperfect people. They stumbled. They slipped up. But one of my favorite things is that Jesus continued to be faithful to them. And God continues to be faithful to us. Just because we like God in the boat doesn't mean that, that, that we are expected to never mess up because otherwise he's like, all right, I'm swimming to shore. Like, peace out. This is not working for me. God will continue to be faithful to us. He'll continue to be faithful to you if you let him in the boat. So this series was the series, this one, one sermon was, I wanted to call it, if nothing else, because I want to make sure before uh, I don't have this opportunity to speak into your lives on a Sunday that you know a couple things. And these are things that are super 
important to my heart. And that is, that is first off, that God loves you. And I know that may seem super cliche, but I really want you guys to get it. That God has a love for you that is unlike anything you've ever experienced, that he do anything and he's done everything to be a part of your lives. Because that's why Christians celebrate Easter, right? Jesus dying on the cross. He did that to remove barriers so that there would be nothing, nothing hindering a relationship with God anymore. He wants to be as close to us as possible. He'd do anything and has done everything to let you know that you are loved, that you are valued, and that he wants to be a part of your lives, that he's pursuing you no matter what your life has looked like. And the second thing, which I think is something that churches need to say more, and we've failed at this, and I apologize, is that God is big enough for your questions. God's big enough for your pain. Because I know it's... If, if God is, for some of you guys are, are struggling with saying, if God is real, then I'm really angry at him for how some things in my life turned out. And I want you to know that God is big enough that he can take it, that he can take that anger and that hurt, that he can take those doubts and those questions. He's big enough for it. He can, he can take it. I feel like churches say, if you have anger, if you have doubt, if you have questions, then, then there's the door and this is going to work out for you. But God is bigger than that. He's big enough for that. The third thing is that we are incomplete on purpose. And this may seem like a weird thing, but I don't know if you've noticed this. There is no perfect job. There is no perfect relationship. There is no perfect place to live, community, family. When you buy the, car, the new car, eventually it gets old. The most perfect relationship will eventually face struggle and trouble. The most perfect job will eventually seem trying there's never enough money to really feel secure. You can be like, I have a number. I think it can work. But once you get to that number, you'll realize, oh, hey, no, I need a bigger number. I need more. I need more. I need more. We are actually made incomplete on purpose. And you can say, well, that's a jerk move. Like, you're the person that removes the last puzzle piece when I'm trying to finish the puzzle at the library. Why are we incomplete on purpose? How is that not a jerky thing? And God did it intentionally because he knew that we would try to make ourselves complete with temporary things. He knew that we would try to find wholeness, completeness, happiness, peace with relationships and with people and with all these things. And eventually they're not going to live up to our expectation, right? They're not going to be able to meet every need. I said, I said in the first service, I think the closest thing we can get to something making us feel complete is a dog. I love dogs. So, but we know, unfortunately, that dogs are just here with us for a certain period of time. And then we have to go through this whole grieving process and all these things no matter what that awesome thing is in your life, it still is going to let you down in some way. And so God made us incomplete on purpose because he is the missing piece. And he knows if your completeness rests on your circumstances, you're going to be miserable. But if your completeness, if your peace rests on me, who is unaging, unchanging, who has your back no matter how you treat me, parents of teenagers are like, amen, I get that. <laughs> God is not leaving us. He is not turning our back on us. He is there for us. So if our completeness rests on someone who is always there for us, who is reliable in a way that nothing else can be, then our peace is secure. Then our hope is secure. Then our rest is secure because it's based on something that cannot be taken or shaken or changed in some way that's going to throw us off. We're incomplete on purpose so that our peace cannot be taken from us. So I want you guys to know the stream. God loves you. 
He's big enough for your questions, your doubts, your angers. And we're incomplete on purpose, and I think it's awesome that way because I know I, we can have that unshakable peace in him. But it all starts with letting him in the boat. And some of you are like, I have kicked this guy out of the boat like four times. He's a little waterlogged. If God is there, he's like angry, like tapping his foot on the shore, like really, you did this again? Guess what? He's still there. He's not going anywhere. Big life change starts with small choices. It starts with letting them into the boat of our lives, into the mess of whatever it looks like, and being willing to listen and consider, what can I gain? If this is legit, what can, what can I gain from this? And the truth is, is it changes everything. It changes everything. And I just, I would be remiss and I would be kicking myself if I didn't share that with you guys because I care about you. I just want that for you. All right, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to pray. Uh, God, we know that it's so hard <sighs> when we look at that pro and con list of what it looks like, what would it mean to actually take this seriously, to actually give this a shot, maybe for the fourth, fifth, 20th time. But God, I just ask that you give us the courage to let you into our lives, to let you into the boat, God, because we know if that small step can lead to so many amazing things, God, if we would just be humble and willing and, and brave enough to, to let it happen. So God, we ask that you give us that bravery. God, we ask that you give us that strength. God, help, help us to remember that you, you really do love us, that you're big enough for our questions and our hurts, and that when the world is shaking around us, we have peace and solace and, and a foundation in you, God, if we would only seize it. God, I know there are so many struggles in here that I, that I personally cannot fully understand, and I just hope that, um, that you speak to their hearts in a way that, that, that sticks, God, that if nothing else, that they'll know those three things, God, that you love them, that you're big enough, and that, that our completeness is found in you. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.